Hi. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Hi. It's so good to be with you today. It's a real joy to be with you and to be able to share with you today what I feel that the Lord's put on my heart to share with His church today. It's such a joy that I can be here with you today to do that. Anyway, you know, for the Christian, there is one central point out of all the parts of our lives that, that all the parts of our lives should flow. And that point, that place, that place of origin is our love for Christ and, and more importantly, is his love for us. And that's called relationship. You know, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.14 says this, For Christ's love compels us. And some translations say it controls us, it constrains us. But what Paul is saying here is that for the Christian, it is from the love relationship that we have with Christ that all the other parts of our life should flow. And it's what should drive our life and all the parts of our life. You know, since the time of the prophets in the Old Testament, God has shown us that he sees the relationship that he has with his children in terms of a marriage. Um, the church is called the bride of Christ. You know, we look at books like the book of Hosea, uh, where the prophet um, is, is told to marry a woman, and that relationship was going to resemble the relationship that Israel had with their God. We look at the book of Song of Solomon, and we see this, this young, newly married couple, and just how they're just loving one another, and, and, and all this, the beauty in that relationship of marriage. And it's to be um, compared with our relationship with God. Um, this is how God sees it, our relationship with him. And this is how he wants his church to see that relationship with him. You know, the greatest commandment according to Jesus, and we know that another name that Jesus had was Emmanuel, who's God with us. So Jesus is God. So the greatest commandment according to Jesus, God, is this. We are to love God with our whole heart, with all our heart, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. That's a lot of alls there. Um, that was one of the Ten Commandments that was given to Moses. But, but we see that Jesus reiterated that commandment. He said it's the number one most important commandment in the entire scripture, according to God. And why would that be? Why would that be the most important scripture? Why would that be the most important of all the commandments? Because if you get that one, the others don't take as much effort. Your obedience to him in all things, it's just going to flow. Your obedience and your love for God, all your whole life will just flow through that out of the simple devotion and love that you have for him. Okay, I'm going to read to you our text today of what we are going to be concentrating on. Okay, now let's read this together. This is Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, if you turn in there in your Bible. All right. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write these things. He who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks amidst the seven golden lampstands, I know your works your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil, 
and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from when you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Okay, so let's have a little background about what I've just read now, because it can be a little confusing, and I know a lot of people read the book of Revelation or, you know, avoid the book of Revelation, because it just seems so strange, so out there. So let's give it a little a little context. Okay, so what's happening in the book of Revelation is that we have the Apostle John, and he is a prisoner on the island of Patmos for being a Christian. That's why he's there. And while he's on this island as a prisoner, he has this incredible vision that is given to him by God, and he's told to write it down. And that's what the book of Revelation is. It's what John saw in his vision. And the book of and the word revelation, it means to reveal. That's what it means. It means kind of like to pull back a curtain and see what's going on behind the scenes. And that's what John sees. What does John see? Well, in Revelation chapter 1, John sees a vision of Jesus. And he's not like when Jesus last time walked the earth where he saw him that very last time. He doesn't look like that anymore. He's a glorified Jesus, and he's got fire in his eyes. And wow, does he look amazing if you read Revelation chapter 1. And, and in this vision, he sees Jesus, and Jesus in his right hand is holding seven stars. And there are seven golden lampstands, okay? They're just like lamps, um, that you'd put oil in and, and you'd light them and they'd light up a room. And there's seven of those. So this is what John is seeing. Okay, now Jesus is so good, okay, because he made it so we could understand this by telling us right out what those seven stars mean and what those seven lampstands are. And what the seven lamps, uh, the stars represent that Jesus is holding is in his hands He says, they are the seven angels or messengers. That's what that word means. The messengers, which are the leaders of churches. So he's talking about seven leaders that are like stars in his hands. And he's holding those seven leaders like pastors of churches. And those seven lampstands that that John sees, they represent seven churches of those seven leaders. And Jesus wants to send a message to those seven churches. And he tells John, because Jesus is looking quite wow with fire in his eyes and he has a blood that he shed on his robe and he's looking quite fearsome. But he says to John, don't be afraid, John. Stand up, because John had fallen on his face in fear, as you would, I think, if you've seen something like that. And, and he says, I want you to write this down for these seven churches and I want you to give them a message from me, John. Okay, and this is Jesus saying this to the Apostle John. So John is being a prophet here and speaking for God through these letters. 
And today I want to look at the first church that Jesus is speaking to John about. And it's called the church at Ephesus. Okay. Now we need to know, and we do know this, that the church is not a building. Because if that was the case, we'd all be in trouble right now. Because we haven't been able to meet in our buildings for a whole year due to COVID, right? The church is made up of people, individuals. That's who his church is. It's people. This is a letter from Jesus himself to the leaders and to the people that make up a church. And all, although this is to a particular church called Ephesus, these, chur- these churches, these seven letters that he's written, are to churches that represent all churches through all the ages. So we can learn from these letters that Jesus has written to these seven particular churches. Now, this one, this one letter that I'm going to talk about, the very first letter, is to the church at Ephesus, okay? Now, Ephesus, what we know from the scriptures, was a big and influential church in a big and thriving city. Ephesus would have been like London or New York City or Paris, you know, a big city, a big, important city. And the apostle Paul planted this church there, this church at Ephesus, because it was a big city and he wanted to make a big impact on a lot of people. He wanted a lot of people to come to know Jesus. And he thought this was a great place to do it. And Paul himself was a minister in that church for three years. And then he he put in place his spiritual son, Timothy. You, you probably, if you're a reader of the Bible, then you'd know that there's two books in the New Testament, first and second Timothy, written by Timothy. That guy was the pastor there. And also the Apostle John at one time had been a pastor in that church. Wow, right? A very, very privileged church to have such amazing input by really godly people. You know, I mean, writers of the New Testament, very privileged indeed. And the scripture even records that this particular church in Ephesus was so influential that the whole province of Asia heard the word of the Lord out of this church in Ephesus. I mean, that is a lot of influence, okay? The whole province of Asia, and that's Acts 19, 8 through 10, if you want to look that up. So like I said, this was a church that had great input by great spiritual leaders and great influence. Okay, now you'll note from what we read in the text that Jesus says some great things about this church this church at Ephesus in in chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. He says wonderful things. Um, uh, He says they were a hard-working church. They served people. They had a great outreach. Obviously, they reached the whole of Asia. Uh, They were true to the scriptures um, and and, uh, to all that they taught. They were true to it. They were living by it. They were obedient to God in how they lived. And remember, this was a big, thriving city. And in this particular city in Ephesus, there was a shrine to um, to idolatry, uh, to the goddess Diana. So there were a lot of people who were into idolatry in this city. So to be a Christian in this city was a hard thing. But these people were remaining true to the, to the words of Christ even in such an atmosphere. And it sounds like such a great church, doesn't it? A beautiful church, an amazing church. And it probably appeared that way, but something wasn't right. And Jesus made mention of it. And he says in verse four of what we read, chapter two, verse four, it says, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left, and some translations say forsaken, that you have left or forsaken 
your first love. Now, you'd be tempted to say, well, no church is perfect. You know, it's a pretty good church, right? So it looks good on the outside. I'm, I'm quite happy with that, right? We'd be tempted to say that. Well, Jesus says this in verse 5. This is the remedy for what he felt was wrong in this church, for what was wrong in this church. He said, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, repent, and do the first works. Jesus is saying, it's not okay. You need to repent. Jesus doesn't see this as a little problem or a minor point. He wants change. Jesus sees this leaving of your first love as something that is like a cancer in an otherwise healthy body. And you'd never say, oh, I'm really healthy, um, except for this very small but aggressive cancer. Well, then you're not healthy, are you? This would seem like a very healthy church, Ephesus, but um, Jesus sees the heart issue because it says in the scripture that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. This is a big issue to Jesus. So let's clarify first what Jesus means by first love. He's not saying that he wants them to be like they were when they first became Christians, because that really wouldn't make any sense. You see, when we first come to the Lord, we start out our journey, and we're probably not that very deep. Our, our love for him is probably not that intense. You know, we might have lots of goosebumps and stuff, but actually, love is something that grows and deepens and matures over time. Think of the example of marriage. You know, I've been married 28 years this year, and I can tell you right now that I love my husband more today and in a deeper way with such depth than I did 28 years ago when we were up at that altar. And why is that? Because we've been through life together. We've had ups. We've had downs. We've been through tragedy. We've been on mountaintops. We have done life together. And love has matured and deepened. So it wouldn't make sense for Jesus to say, now go back to that lesser, mature, less deep way that you were. It didn't, wouldn't make sense. It just wouldn't make sense. But here, Jesus is speaking about what we love first. He said that they had left, they had forsaken their first love. They had forsaken what or who they love first. You know, we leave our first love when we express a more passionate love for something or for someone else. When we give that passion that we have away to someone or something less deserving. And I'll just put it out there now. Everything is less deserving than Jesus because he will never fail you. And everything else can. And we leave our first love when we or obey or serve God out of duty rather than devotion. When we come to the point in our lives as a Christian where we say, I have to do this. This is what Christians do. Or I'm not allowed to do that. I'm a Christian. You know, that's what I do. You know, we kind of roll our eyes and we, and we feel the burden of it. You know, love for these people in the Ephesian church was no longer what was compelling them, what was driving their life. <clears throat> Jesus was saying that their lives looked good on the outside, 
but it was no longer flowing from their love for him on the inside. They were going through the motions of their faith. Why is this so bad? What's so destructive about this? And here's the answer. I've got actually four answers for you. First one, whatever or whoever you love first is going to be the motivation for every other thing that you do. And if it's not Jesus first, then all your plans and all your decisions won't be with an aim to please him. And as a Christian, that's what we want to do. We want to please him. You know, we can love many other things first in our lives. We could love our comfort first. We could love money first. We could love our family first. And you would think any of those things were important, right? And they are important. But when you live for those things first and not for Jesus, there are so many pitfalls. For example, when you love your comfort first, then when you're reading the scripture, because you have to, right? You're reading that scripture and you see something that Jesus asks you to do. Let's just say forgiveness. Someone's really hurt you. You know, they've done, done a real bad thing and they've hurt you. And the word of God says that as Christians we're to forgive. You know what? You're going to find it very hard to forgive because it doesn't agree with your comfort levels. You know, I don't, I don't feel like it, you know, because you're living for your own comfort and not for Jesus. And so what you do in your life flows through that out to everything you do. And you'll just find it so easy to disobey when you read the scriptures, when you know what God wants you to do. Okay, number two, you'll do things for God out of duty. I said this one before, because you have to. And you'll find it a burden to sustain the good things you do because your heart won't be in it. The third thing, you know, your priorities in life will be out of sync. And eventually, you're going to feel the impact of that in your life. It's going to catch up with you. Did you ever feel, even when life's going pretty well, you know, there's no great big thing going on in life. You know, the kids are doing pretty well. Your finances are doing pretty well. You know, you're relatively healthy. Everything's pretty good, but you, and you just can't put a finger on it of why you're not really happy, why there's this discontent in you. And it's sort of the, the background music of your life of something's not right. You know, I just don't know what it is. Can't put my finger on it. Something's out of sync. When we love Jesus, when our love for Jesus is not first, your priorities in life will not be right. And life will always have this undercurrent of being out of sync. And you know why that is? Because we were created by God for relationship with him. That is the very reason God created us. And when you're out of sync with that, you're going to feel it. It's the main purpose of our lives to be in relationship with God. In the message, it says, um, <clears throat> Colossians 1.16, that everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. So if we're out of sync with him, then we're going to feel out of sync. That's just going to be the byproduct of that. And number four, when you love Jesus first, you might think other areas of your life are going to suffer because you aren't, you aren't putting those other things first, those other things that are important things like your marriage or your children. But Jesus says in Matthew 6, 33, and he says, 
Jesus himself said this, seek first the kingdom of God. And that's what a love relationship with Christ is. It's seeking first the kingdom of God. And then all these other things I'll take care of. He says that. He says, don't worry about all these other things. Seek first, first, first the kingdom of God. And then all these other things are going to be added to you. There's a quote by a great Christian writer and thinker called C.S. Lewis. And it just, this quote just hits the nail on the head in regard to this. And he says this, When I have learned to love God better than my earthly dearest, I shall love my earthly dearest better than I do now. And there's more to that quote, but the end part of it is this. When first things are put first, second things are not suppressed, but increased. And I think that's an amazing quote. It's an amazing thing, and it's a Bible truth. It's a kingdom truth that when you put him first, that other things in your life don't suffer, but actually God brings his supernatural increase to all those other areas of your life. Okay, so how did the Ephesian church that Jesus is writing to here through John, how did they let this happen? How did um, they, they lose loving Jesus first? How did it happen? They were in church. They were working hard, doing the right things, living in a way that seemed right. How did it happen, right? It's a good question to ask. Well, if we're to look at our relationship with God and the church and our personal relationship with God as a marriage, you have to think about it in, in those terms then. Like in a marriage that's been really good, there's no great big scandal, no terrible thing done by either party, you just start taking that person, that other person, for granted. You know the right things that you should do, but you're busy. The kids need picking up. I have so many chores to do. I'm I'm tired. You know, I get up early. I work from morning till evening. I just want to, I have to cook dinner. I just want to fall into bed and just go to sleep. You lose affection for them. And other things begin to take precedence over that person. Other things become more important than your spouse. You begin to live life and to make decisions and choices in your marriage based on other things that take priority over the love that you have for your spouse. And as I said before, we are the bride of Christ. Our church is the bride of Christ, okay? And I asked at the, or I mentioned at the beginning, the greatest commandment according to Jesus. And that greatest commandment was this. You know, love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. You know, and I would ask you, how are you doing with that? You know, I ask myself that. If Jesus himself, if God says, listen, this is the most important then I'm going to begin to look at that. If God Almighty says, this one here is the most important, then I'm going to look at that very intently. And I'm going to ask myself, you know, was there a time that you loved him more in your life? Is he no longer what or who you love first? You know, these are questions we have to ask ourselves. And if the answer to that is no, I want you right now to not beat yourself up. Okay, don't be beating yourself up and thinking, you know, I'm a bad person. No, no, no. 
That's not helpful. What you have to do is say, okay, well, what do I do then? And Jesus gives us the answer. He's so good. Because Jesus doesn't want to beat you over the head. He wants to point it out because he loves you. That's what I do to my children. When I see my children walking in a way that isn't going to be helpful to them, that's just going to lead to something destructive, I will point it out to them because of my incredible love for them. With the end product not being something terrible, because I don't even want them to go to that place. You know, right here in Revelation, it says that if they do not do those things, if they don't come to that place of repentance, it says, or else I will come to you quickly and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. You know what I say as a parent myself? What I would say to my children? Hey, Let's not even go there, all right? I was doing a lot of study on this scripture, and I was looking things up, and I was saying, well, what does that mean? And I looked it up, and and I was trying to read what different people said. And I'll tell you right now, different commentaries and different people, there are a lot of beliefs on what that means, that I'm going to remove your lampstand unless you repent. But I want to tell you right now that I know that Jesus was saying, hey, church, let's not even go there. You know, just let's be obedient. Let's go back. Well, like he says, remember from where you've fallen. Let's go to that place. Let's not go to that other place where you don't listen to me. Let's just forget that right now because I don't want you to go to that place. All right. I don't even want you to go to that place. So we're not going to even go there. We're going to go to that place that we remember where we loved Jesus first in our lives. What do we do? The, The answer. He's so good. He doesn't want to condemn. He doesn't want to take you um, to take his loving words and, and twist them and think this is not a loving statement. What he wants to say to you right now is repent. And you know what repent means? It can be a big, scary word that you think, ah, what do I, what does that mean? Repent. And all the word repent means is he wants you to change the way you are thinking. That's what the word repent means. I want you to change the way you're thinking. I've not been who you've loved first, who you've put first in your life. Right now, change the way you're thinking. Just do it. I mean, it's like I can hear my own voice when I'm talking to my children, when I'm talking to the ones I love, and I don't want to see them walking in into something that's going to harm them, that's going to be something that, that, that they're going to have to deal with later in their life. He doesn't want you to feel horrible and condemned. You're a bad person. No, no, no. Jesus is not wanting something from this Ephesian church or from you or from me that's going to add another burden to your life. Make it heavier with another thing to add to my Christian to-do list. Okay, Jesus, what now? What do I have to do now? Okay. He gives us the remedy for someone who's forsaken Jesus as their first love, which is to return to him as first love. I mean, it's almost too simple, right? He says, repent and do the first works. I want you to think of the remedy right now. I want you to think of this remedy that Jesus gives in the light of this analogy, okay? And this is something that happened to me in this last week. Okay, I was given a beautiful bamboo plant, okay? It's not one of those ones with the thick stems, okay? It's quite a willowy one, quite like little willowy stems. It's just beautiful, just lovely, and it, and it just, um, it's a bit like my shirt, actually, here. You know, it just kind of, just sprouts out. It's beautiful. It's like it's reaching its little hands out to the sun. Okay, someone gave me this beautiful 
plant. And I thought, I know a perfect place for this. The weather's getting better here in the UK. So I opened up my back door outside and I put it in a, in a spot that I thought it looked quite lovely. Okay. After a few days have gone by, I wasn't really thinking much about my beautiful plant. It was just looking lovely in the corner, I'm sure. I noticed this plant and it didn't look as full of life um, as when I got it. It looked a little bit wilted. It looked a little bit like it had drawn into itself. It didn't look like the little happy plant, biggish happy plant, that I'd received on that first day. And so I moved it to a sunnier spot because I noticed that where I had put it, although it fit lovely, it was quite shady and it didn't get any sun. So I took this plant and I'm not, I don't really have a green thumb, but I do, do know a plant needs sunshine. I know that much. And I picked up this plant and I put it in one of the sunniest spots in my garden. And you know what I did? I let the goodness of the sunshine just do its thing. That's all I did. After one day, one full day, there was a difference in how this plant looked. It was healthier. It was more alive. It needed to be repositioned. Okay, repositioned to a place where all it had to do, all this plant had to do, was sit in that sunshine and effortlessly receive what it needed. It didn't need to do one more thing, just reposition itself, and that was it. And all it had to do was just take in the goodness of everything, what it needed, the sunshine, effortlessly. It needed to be in a place where the atmosphere around it had what it needed. And now it's thriving. And because I am a good plant owner, I am not going to move it, okay? Because it is now one happy bamboo plant. And I know that it's in the place where it's getting everything that it needs. Okay. Now, I don't think it's going to be a rocket scientist to understand this analogy. We are like that bamboo plant. You know, if you found yourself, if you have found yourself in a place where your relationship with Jesus is not like it was at a time when you loved him first, and it's like you're in a shady place, and you have to go back now to a place where you will thrive, where you were thriving, you have to go back to the one who never stopped loving you. He never stopped loving you. Just remember that. He never changed. Jesus never moved. It's, we, it's us who change and who move. John 8, 12 says, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Okay? Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He's light. Just like for that little bamboo plant. He's the light that we need. And interesting enough, the other thing that a plant needs is water. Right? I mean, I'm very rudimentary with my plant care, but I know it needs sunlight and it needs water. Well, you know what he says? Jesus says that he offers us living water. He says in the scriptures, take one drink with me and you'll never thirst again. That's what he calls himself, the living water. So we need to reposition ourselves where the sunlight can get at us. S-O-N. Okay? The sunlight. I thought that was clever. I don't know, you might be laughing at home or going, yeah, she's so clever. But actually, I just say that to say that is a truth. We need to get the sunlight on us again as Christians if we're feeling in those shady places. 
and we're not thriving like we used to in our love for Jesus. You know, one of my life verses, and I always say that to people, you should get life verses, verses that just every day they have the goodness of God in them for you, just for every situation. But my, one of my life verses is Psalm 73, 28, and it's this. But as for me, the nearness of God is good for me. I say that to myself probably every day because, you know, sometimes when I come to God, I don't have a lot to say or I'm not feeling all the feels and I'm like tired. But you know what? Just being near him is good. And sometimes I just sit there, I get my cup of coffee and I just say, God, I'm just going to sit here in your presence. I'm not going to do one thing and just sit here. I'm just going to sit here and feel your presence. And I'm so much like that little bamboo plant soaking in the sunlight. Just to be near him is good for you. And you will feel the benef- benefits of it straight away. But practically, how do you do this? How do you return to loving Jesus first? What are some practicalities? Well, 1 John 4.19 says this. We love Because he first loved us. You know, we wouldn't even know what love is or the love of God is unless he loved us first. So that's our starting point. You know, one of the sweetest things in a relationship is love letters. And I have a bunch of them from when me and Andy were still in the dating stage of life. And I have, with a little ribbon around them, I still have that. And those are the love letters of a relationship. And this is where that beloved one of yours tells you just the way he loves you and all the things he'll do for you and and all the things that the future will hold for your lives together. And what you find then, you know, what we find as we get to know God through his love letter, the Bible, is that to know him is to love him. He's easy to love. And you know, the, the scriptures, you need to begin to look at the scriptures, the Bible, as one great big love letter from start to finish. And that's what it is exactly. Because if you were to sum up the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation, what it is is the story of a great king who had um, a separation come between him and his bride. And, and the whole scripture is about him saying how he's going to get his bride back and then how he gets his bride back. And that's us. And that, in a nutshell, is the story of the scriptures and the Bible. It is a love letter. It's a love letter from start to finish. And you need to begin to look at it in that light. It is our love letter in our marriage to our, to our God. Okay? You need to read. And the Bible doesn't just advocate read. We need to meditate on this love letter. Find the parts of that love letter that speak to your heart, that tell you about Jesus, that tell you about the goodness of God. You know, and if you don't understand the Bible, that's okay. Now, right here is, I think, a perfect little plug for my Bible study, okay? I do a Bible studies most Mondays um, at 1030, and I call it Bible Studies with Gina. You can find it on YouTube or go to family.church. But what we do in that Bible study is it's, it's a study of the love letter that is the Word of God. And we get deep into it, even the parts that are hard to understand, even the parts that don't, you can't see the love. But it's there. It's always there. So I'm, what I'm saying here is this. To rekindle love for Jesus first in your life, it only takes one thing. Simple devotion. If you're going to boil it down, it's just simple devotion to Him. 
those simple things that we know to do, to read that love letter, to be near to him, to talk with him. You, and you know what? It's not hours and hours a day that you've got to spend doing this. And you certainly don't have to come into his presence begging him and pleading, love me, Lord, love me. You don't have to do that. That's a done deal. It's done. He loves you. The word of God is there. It's written. The love letter is written. All you have to do is sit like a little bamboo plant and soak it in. Soak in the sunlight of all his goodness. That's all you have to do. He loves you. Get re positioned. If you're finding yourself in a place where you think, I don't know if I love Jesus first anymore. I've put a lot of other things first. I've put a lot of other things first and I do feel out of sync and I need that to change. Get repositioned. Get in that place of simple devotion where you're effortlessly receiving what he is so freely pouring out. So freely pouring out. It's in simple devotion. And I'm going to end with this. I'm concluding right now, okay? Matthew 24, 12 says this, and this is Jesus speaking. He says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of many, and some translations say most, will grow cold. He says, because you live in a world that is so full of evil and so full of sin, it's sometimes in the scripture it's called lawlessness, you know, living in sin, just all around us, everywhere we turn. Because we live in a world that is so like that, it says that the love of many and even most will grow cold. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this to you right now. Just determine in your heart, not me, Jesus, not me, no way. That is not going to be me. I'm going to position myself so that I receive everything that you have pouring out because I don't want to live my life apart from you. I don't want to live my life doing things out of duty, doing things because I have to. If I'm going to be a Christian, I want to do this thing the right way. I want to do this thing with a heart so filled with love for you that it is just spilling out onto this world. It's just spilling out into every area of my life. It's as I put you first and my love for you first, that love spills out onto my marriage. That love spills out into my children and into my workplace and into my finances and into my friendships and into every area of my life. He brings life just to be near him is good for you. He is the sunshine and the water that you need to feel alive again, to rekindle that love again. You know, and maybe you, you hear me today and you say, you know what, I have never had a relationship with, with God like that ever. I've, I don't know God in that way. I didn't know I could have a relationship with this God. I didn't know anything about Jesus. I didn't know this, but I want it. Jesus is that, that sunshine and that water that I need in my life. Maybe you're saying that. And if that's you out there saying that, I'm going to pray in a minute. And I'm going to pray for two kinds of people. One, for the Christian. For the Christian out there who's saying, I need to put Jesus first again. I need to get back to that place. I need to do those first works again. I need to get back to simple devotion with you, Jesus. I'm going to pray for that person. And number two, I'm going to pray for those who've never known Jesus before. And I'm going to pray a prayer of salvation where you're going to ask Christ to be Lord of your life and say, I want you to be my first love. And I'm going to pray that. And just at the end of my prayer, just say amen in agreement. And then you're his. Let's pray. Father, 
we just thank you for this wonderful, wonderful day. We just thank you for this wonderful, wonderful letter that you've written to the Ephesians church. And Lord, right now we're just going to pray. We're just going to pray to you, Lord God. And what we say is this, Father, for those who've been far from you and want to come back to first love, putting you first again, Lord, let that be. We say, Lord, we want to be in a place where you are first love in our life. And Lord, I pray for those who don't know you, who want to know you, who right now are saying, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Lord, I accept all that you've done for me, what the, what the love letter of the Bible says, that you died for me, you gave your life for me, that I could have my sins forgiven, and I can be right with God again and not out of sync. And Father, to this we just say thank you. Thank you so much. And Lord, just bless every single person out there who can hear my voice, who's prayed this prayer today. And we all together say, Amen. Amen. You know, it's been such a joy to be with you today, and I just hope you have a wonderful day, and remember to put Jesus first.